right, welcome to the podcast today. It is Tuesday, February 28th, and I did not have this kind of energy before I got to work around quarter to 12. Um, I'll run down how I got to this. I'll tease you that we have a, when I wake up a guest on who was here last year. We kind of hit that time in the calendar where the girls from um, UT's Community Cares Clinic have come back. We had Acoustics for Autism friends in. Uh, the biggest week in American birding happens right here in Northwest Ohio because of our lakes. And I will let, I will let our guest, Nate Kosicki, explain more of that. Nate is a bird nerd. He, like, I, like, I know my Batman and Transformers. He knows his warblers and finches and is going to help me try to figure out what the hell's been sitting on my tree or my neighbor's trees. He is a savant with this stuff. And um, now that the world is much more back to normal than last year, maybe you want to see why all these people come from all over the world. And if you don't want to go out to Mommy Bay or what, McGee Marsh, and just want to go to your regular Metro Park when this happens um, in, in early and mid-May, fine. But it'll give you something to keep your eyes open for because you will see different colors and different species than you normally might. Um, yeah, so I was in like a, it's so weird. Like I, my mood can be dictated by what I have to do on the show or this for the day. And, uh, after I got done my prep in the morning, I was like, there's nothing to talk about. There is nothing interesting to talk about. And then I got here and started outlining the show and then I, I dove in, I was doing the radio show. I was like, okay, yeah, yeah now we got some fun stuff to talk about. Like my brother sent me a story yesterday. Um, that a, a woman has a $289 car payment. If you've followed along, you know that uh, I'm in the last handful of months in my lease for my Mazda CX-30. I really like it. I test drove a Taylor Kia Sportage, hy- Sportage Hybrid last week, and it was all that I had expected. Um, not good, n- not not bad, but I'm likely just going to wait out my lease. But I, I wanted to begin the process now because the more information you have, the better decision you can have. Um, and maybe something will pop up in the meantime where they'll say, I'll take your car right now. And we'll you know do this, this, and that. There's always a deal to be had, unless there's not, and then you wait. So Paul, and by the way, um, thanks to uh, Mike Sheever, who has kind of been like my on-call contractor. Mike trimmed up my trees, which could have been splayed all over my home or my roof with the weather we've had recently. He did that in the fall. Um, Helped me out as my toilet died, and it was geysering last week. And then having messed with the water in the basement, I think just by playing with the lever, I gave myself a leak. Mike was kind enough to come fix it. I, I paid him. I pay him. He's thirty bucks an hour. Um, fixed this darn thing up last night. So thanks to him. But Mike, uh, we were talking car payments and stuff. His is pretty big. But when you roll something that's underwater, meaning it has no equity, into something else, yeah, I I did that a bunch of times, and I vowed to never do that again because you wind up paying way more a month. Let's say you're paying four eighty a month for a vehicle that. If you weren't underwater with, or somebody coming in with, with zero equity, just nothing, but not underwater, they're paying three fifty. It's a big deal. This person is paying two hundred and eighty nine dollars a month. That's not bad. Uh, it is for a nineteen ninety eight Ford Escort. That is not two hundred ninety eight dollars um for a month. It is two hundred ninety eight dollars 
$289 a month for 84 months. That's seven years. Um, roughly it comes out to, and obviously there's interest in there and whatnot, but about $24,000. And if somebody just paid like a grand or two grand for that vehicle, they could drive it off the lot. I don't know how this woman got into this commitment. Um, but she is, and at the very least, it made her go viral. So maybe somebody threw a bunch at her GoFundMe or whatever. And before you know, she'll take the viral fame and the $289 a month is her fee to have gotten whatever she's gotten out of it. I will take $289 a month for 36 months with three grand down. I'd sign up for that right now, depending on what car it is. I don't think it would be for that Sportage Hybrid. I don't think so. Um, really good news. As I as I suspected, uh, I'm going to go pick up Diddy in a little bit from Community Pet Care Clinic. And uh, they do not have to send out what they're taking off of him to be biopsied because it is not something that looks cancerous. Um, they said this morning, and when I asked him, I was like, what are you going to put in? She's like, he's going to have a cone. I was like, you think he's going to have a cone? We did the cone once before for about one minute. So hopefully, one, thank goodness he's okay. 400 bucks, well well worth it to, to be better safe than sorry. Rather than not spending it, have it spread, and then I have a 13-year-old dog who needs his leg taken off. Um, and by the way, finding out that Diddy was okay uh, coming into work helped my mood a little bit, but not so much as diving in to do show things because I was, I'm at like energy level seven right now. I was at a, I was at, not mood, energy. Seven earlier, four now. Uh, a couple other things to give you. Souter Village Bridal Show is this weekend, Sunday, with Acoustics for Autism. Kurt Angle will be signing autographs at the mall. The Photo Arts Club is doing another contest. You can, And they're paired up with the Metro Parks. Um, they've got some cash prizes. Think of like the 35th Annual Photo Arts Club, and they do some neat photo and art programming all over the area. So, if uh, you are an amateur photographer, you can um, uh, submit some photos in a variety of different categories, ones you'd expect, including abstract, maybe win some money or prizes from Lazy Boy. Uh, 12,000 skaters hit the skating ribbon, which is now closed until its grand opening in the spring, where I hope to have my roller skating party. Um, the University of South Carolina Gamecocks, their girls' female women's basketball team, led by Zaya Cook, leading that team in scoring when I last checked, have been number one in the poll for 36 straight weeks. They finished the season 29-0. and If they continue to go undefeated, they'll win a... Uh, consecutive national title under their uh, Philadelphia born and bred head coach, Dawn Staley, who could one day be the first women's head coach of an NBA team? Possibly. Uh, Jared Anderson, the undefeated heavyweight boxer from here in Toledo. I believe he trains now out of Houston. His next fight is scheduled for April, uh, sometime in April, first weekend of April, April 8th. He is fighting in Prudential Center in Pro in Newark, New Jersey. Not Madison Square Garden, but he did say he wants to fight here sometime uh, this year. Maybe sometime in the summer, early fall. I would guess that would be at the Huntington Center. Um, tens of thousands of people 
uh, millions of dollars are coming into the area for the biggest week in American birding, which happens right here in Toledo in Northwest Ohio. Let's talk about it with Nate Kosicki now. I've been practicing this since uh, we, we decided to finally settle on a time. Mm-hmm. Kosicki, right? Kosicki, yep. Nate Kosicki is back because we're going to do a uh, biggest week in America birding part two with you. Did I get all that right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. biggest week in American birding. Um, well, let's give me a, a, a one sentence plot of what that is. It's a big reunion that celebrates the bird migration that passes through Northwest Ohio every year. Great sentence. All right, let's go because we we visited last year before it happened, and I think last year was the the first full return after COVID, right? It was. Okay, yeah. so uh, give me a recap as long as you want of how successful or unsuccessful last year's biggest week was. The best part certainly was besides the birds seeing everybody come back. Good, good. Was, yeah, um, just people from all over. Um, all over the world, really. I had friends visiting all the way from places like Texas and California, and then people in different countries visiting again. So, really good to see them. Can't wait to see them again this year too. Um, yeah, I, it's. I think it's people miss it in some ways. I'm sure. Well, I don't know how can who your friend group is or whatever. But if I told people that there's like, hey, did you know like twenty or thirty thousand people come to the area during this particular time of the year? They might not know because I know a lot of it is spread out and they would think that it's like a Jeep fest or a big race downtown. But we really do have that many people come visit this little spot from all over. And it's such a, a, a boon to the economy as well. Absolutely. Uh, this event brings in an estimated 30 to 40 million, uh, excuse me, 30 to 40 million dollars a year annually. Yeah. And about the estimated about 90,000 people visit. Uh, so. I, I want to hear you tell the story again, because I, I found it quite fascinating. And I'm sure I'm positive there's people who, who didn't hear this last year. Um, let, let's start. How, how did this all, how did Biggest Week in Birding land in Toledo to begin with? When, when was the, the birth of that? It started, I think this will be the 12th year of the festival. It was to the point where everybody regionally understood how significant our area was when it came to species numbers and populations and and why it's so important why it's why all these birds come here and so black swamp bird observatory uh they decided to start the biggest week in american birding to really showcase that not just to local people but to also market northwest ohio to the entire globe really Um, like i said um, people from all 50 states 52 countries have visited and potentially more now that that stat is a little um little dated so it might be more than 52 countries now how how many years have you been a part of the event even if even if because you are what's the the museum person thing you're you're a guide a guide as part of the event correct yes i'm a guide when when did you first go as just nate who liked birds it if it's a funny story i i first went to the biggest week in american birding it was 2000 i i believe it was 2009 Okay. 2000 or maybe 2011. I'll, I'll have to go back in my. What grade my, were you in? Do you remember that? I think fifth grade because okay. what was funny was I was I was supposed to have a spring league hockey tournament up in Dearborn, Michigan that week, and it got canceled. And my mom told me about this bird watching event that was going on uh, out by the lake, and I'm like, okay, yeah, let's. I've heard about it. Let's go check it out. And I remember walking up to the famous McGee Marsh Boardwalk with my mom. And just crowds of people swarming it. It was insane. And I remember looking up in two people who I didn't know at the time, but I do know now. They shouted, American White Pelicans. 
Um, <laughs> those are, they're getting more common as, uh, in the area now, but at the time it was a very rare species. And at that point I realized, oh my gosh, I haven't even stepped onto the boardwalk yet. And we're already seeing incredibly rare things. Then I stepped onto the boardwalk and, you know, it was jammed with people and even more jammed with birds. So I don't want to forget this question. So I ask you now sure. when there is that kind of enthusiasm, does it scare the birds away? Depends on the bird. Um, in that case with the pelicans, they were flying, you know, well over 100 yards above us. Got it. Um, a lot of the species, specifically the songbirds on the boardwalk, they are so hyper-focused on just feeding and resting and refueling so they can continue their uh, their migration that you can get within three feet of a warbler. Uh, it was a couple years ago, I remember a black-throated green warbler, uh, which is one of the 36 kinds that we have passed through. Um, it was almost about to jump over my foot. I could have grabbed it. I had my camera there. I was taking snapshots of it, and I didn't even have to zoom in. That's how crazy it was. We'll come back to the migration, and you'll be able to explain that. Sure. I guess what I'm what I'm visualizing is we are these birds, 11:30 Taco Bell run, right? Where we just need the Nachos Bell Grande. <laughs> Doesn't matter what the traffic is, yeah. how late we're gonna be. I I need that food hit. Mm -hmm. Um. I, I don't remember this from when we spoke last year. How the heck did, did little teeny tiny Nate get fall in love with birds? It was about, about six years old is when I started noticing them. Um, I would say at about nine, that's when I would say I officially became a birder. It all started um, basically with the color red. And the more that I've thought about it, I've always been a huge Detroit Red Wings fan even since I started, before I started birding. And so I think when I saw that color red on the ice, then I saw one on a cardinal, you know, in the wild. I'm like, wow, that's that's my favorite color. I want to know more about that bird. Is your cardinal's hat intentional? A uh, little bit. Um, <laughs> I, I do collect MLB hats now, okay. but St. Louis is my favorite NL team for reasons that are probably pretty pretty uh, noticeable because Cardinal is my favorite bird. So would you be an Orioles fan? Would I that am. Your that's American my AL team? team. Yeah, Look but you. Tigers are my they're my family team. So I got it. I'm just one of those guys who can't pick a favorite In team the NFL, is it the Ravens or the Falcons? It's uh, that. That's a little more <laughs> I'm a little more at home with that. I'm Tigers. Got it. Got it. I mean, excuse me, Lions and then my roommates, they're huge Bengals fans. So got I it. like them too. So just baseball for the birds, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so tell me more about you falling in love when you were six years old and beyond and the color red and everything else and how you first started becoming a, a birder yeah so like i said it started with a cardinal and what we call that is we call that a spark bird so most birders who have been doing this for a while uh have a spark bird which is the bird that really got them interested uh so mine's a cardinal and once you get uh influenced by that one bird then you begin to realize okay there's more out there than just that one so cardinals turn into blue jays blue jays expand to goldfinches orioles then, you know, come spring, you're overwhelmed with the amount of warblers in your backyard. It's almost like um, when you go sh when you go car shopping, and I'm sorry if this analogy goes over your head, no. you, go, you go car shopping and all of a sudden you're looking at a specific car and then you see it everywhere. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's been on the road the whole time, yep. but you just started paying attention. Do, do some people, did you say a sparkler? Is that what it is? Spark bird. Spark bird. Yeah. Is there one that's pretty common for people around here? I would say I would say cardinal is one of them. If I had to think, most of the spark birds that I know from people are the birds that you can see in your backyard basically at any time of the year. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is just, it happens to be a time you remember um, 
where for for whatever reason that bird just caught your eye and you got hooked on it? For me, and I mean, I always knew that we had the biggest week here. I didn't quite grasp what it was, but I lived downtown where I saw no birds. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, the geese that would terrorize my dogs. Right. I move out closer to Swan Swan Creek and I'm like, wow, there's a bird with color. And you're right. It was usually cardinals and blue jays. They'll fly behind where you're sitting. Now, I think I told you this last year and I started to pay so much more attention to it. And then it, it caught my eye for things. Um, what other, you mentioned finches and mm-hmm. warblers. Are those also common birds here? So goldfinches are. Uh, that's one of the that's one of the favorite uh, summertime birds that that people will draw to their um, to their yards. They'll have these little sock feeders filled with these little tiny sure. things that they like. Um, warblers. That's the seasonal bird that comes through in the spring that brings the crowds. Um, we have thirty six different kinds. Can you can you go down them alphabetically? You could, couldn't you? <laughs> I don't think I could. Um, I'm, I forgive me. I'm I'm looking them up. <laughs> yeah, go right ahead. But no, keep going. Tell me about the 36 different variations of warblers. So right now, uh, the vast majority of them are currently somewhere in South America. They can any be in, be in anywhere from Colombia, Venezuela. Uh, they could be in uh, Central America right now in Mexico, or some are even down southeast, and that's where they spend the winter. Are they uh, the ones that have come up here uh, predominantly like strongly yellow or is that did I just pick the most popular one? Yellow tends to be a common color for the warblers. Um, blue is also in there. Um, a couple of them have orange. Um, uh, yeah, they, there's there's Darwinism in play there. Do you know why the warblers are yellow? And I guess I, I could ask you that about any bird. I, I couldn't give you a specific answer. I guess that's just what natural selection thought was best for them. Sure. I mean, we'll get to why they're down there and why they're coming here shortly. Uh, I should have taken a picture, but you are the bird guy, so maybe you can answer this for me. Um, on my residential neighborhood street, there's a tree that doesn't have, obviously, any leaves on it at any, at any time right now. Um, but there are dozens of... Small but chubby looking birds. Okay. I, I sent a picture to my friend who does a lot with the Metro Parks. He couldn't figure them out. Kind of hard to see them. They're kind of ca- camouflaged in. They, they, they blend in. Little chubby, small, very loud, very chirpy, mm-hmm. um, and, and grayish and dark, color, dark hues. Does that ring a bell of any kind of bird? Thinking about the description... Is there any brownish in there from what you can recognize? There might be, but very little. When I look up at them yelling, screaming, terrorizing, and they're like, if my dogs start barking or if we walk close to the tree, they don't all fly off. They mm-hmm. like sitting in their tree. Mm-hmm. They're they're mostly like grayish grayish hues. Okay, um, two birds I'm thinking of regarding the gray and regarding you know how social they are. I'm thinking maybe house sparrow. Is there a okay. big group of them? Yeah. Okay. Well, house yeah. sparrows. Um, they're actually an invasive species, um, and they they caused a bit of a havoc on the eastern bluebird populations back in the 70s, and, and so did European starlings, which is the other bird I'm thinking of, okay. which is also invasive. Um, they are cavity-nesting species, and they will evict other birds from those cavities so they can nest in there. Got um, it. So they'll, they'll kill bluebird chicks, even a, adult bluebirds at times, um, but fortunately... Steps have been taken to kind of m- mitigate the populations a bit. Okay. Um, and it may not seem like it because they're still everywhere. Right. Um, but it's, I would 
be willing to bet it's a house sparrow, but I can show you pictures afterwards. I'll snag a picture because they're always there. Sure. Um, I see them more than my neighbors, which is not a terrible thing. Okay, so let's talk about this, this this whole reason why we are this big thing coming up. And, and it's in May, right? It's in May. Yes. Um, there's some registration now for some things going on with Black Swamp Conservancy. Um, you can look those things up. They're on all of our news sites. But uh, what's the week in May that we're looking forward to? I believe it's... I think it's in the middle of May, May like after May Mother's Day. 5th through the 14th. I okay. could be. I could be wrong. Check the website okay. if you're interested, but... Um Starts early May and it's a ten day fest, ten day festival. So. You mentioned some of the uh, warblers mm-hmm. or the finches are down in South America, Central America, uh, perhaps brushing up on their Spanish or making <laughs> working on their Spanglish. Why the heck do they all come here? That's a long trip. Yeah. So what they do is they start out um, in those climates. Uh, that's just where they 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 naturally go for the winter, uh, and then they they are obligate migrants, and that term means. Um, they need to migrate. They need to go to warmer cl- to um, other climates to to breed. And so, what will happen? Uh, this will be happening sometime soon. A lot of these birds will begin to respond to day length. Uh, there's a mechanism uh, in their chemistry. Uh, they catch the the daylight changes. And it's like they have circadian rhythms, like we do. Basically, yeah. And they will they will understand. Okay, time for me to go. Uh, it's a uh, there's a German term for it. it. Starts with a Z. I always mispronounce it, so I won't. But the term refers to migratory restlessness. So they will legitimately get this anxiety pushing them to go north. And what will it's, happen? Sorry to interrupt. Oh, it's it's like uh, it's like senior citizens, snowbirds. Mm-hmm. November rolls around. They all go down to Florida. <laughs> and that's one way to put it. That's yeah. one way to put it. Um, We're all creatures of this earth. And, yeah, and and, yeah. and and the earth pushes us to do certain yeah, things. It's amazing what. How similar species can be, even so humans. The, how many species are coming up here from South America? Like I said, um, there's 36 warblers. Um, not all of them winter in South America. Some are in Central America, uh, Southeast U.S. Um, we even get some rare vagrants that may stray over uh, to our area in the spring, which makes... 36 even more could could people notice this if they didn't know what was going on with the birds migrating like along the path of their migration that you mentioned like venezuela if they saw swarms of these birds would they know that oh they're going north like we often notice birds going south i guess with some species um but the thing about warblers and a lot of songbirds uh most of them actually migrate at night uh, they migrate under the cover of darkness. There's there's a couple different theories why um, it's harder to get caught by predators. Sure. Um, they use uh, star constellations to kind of guide themselves. Um, but it's it's with some species you can definitely notice it. Hawks they're daytime migrants, so you'll see huge kettles flying. Um, swallows also migrate in the daytime. Blue jays actually migrate even though we see them in the winter. Um, so it all really depends on the time of day you're out. And they're all coming up here, perhaps millions of birds. No, absolutely millions. Mil- millions and millions of birds are coming up here to hang out around the Great Lakes because they would like to uh, breed right. and probably eat as well. So tell me yeah. more about that experience. Yeah, so going back to their their migration routes, um, once they're at the point where they're about to hit the water, um, in, in the Gulf, I should say, they either go around it following the curvature of Central America into Mexico they island hop to the Bahamas and then onto the shores of Florida and other southeastern states, or some are courageous enough to go straight over, straight over the uh, 
Gulf of Mexico, which is about an 18 hour flight for one bird. Mm. Um, once they reach land, uh, they'll continue up here. And what we call Lake Erie is it's a migrant trap. And that refers to the fact that they see another body of water. They realize, okay, I don't want to cross that again without being ready. So they will drop down to what we call stopover habitats, um, specifically places like Mickey Marsh Wildlife Area, Otto Nash Wildlife Refuge, Maumee Bay, all the places out by the lake with deciduous trees. That will offer a lot of food reserves for these birds. And so they will basically forage until they double their body weight and fat so they can use that as fuel to keep going over the lake into Canada. And how far up do they go? Um, some will breed in Northwest Ohio, birds like American Red Starts, uh, Yellow Warblers. Um, others will keep going basically all the way to where the trees end in the circle of the Arct- Arctic Circle. What happens, I don't think I asked you this last year, what happens when they get up there? Do they eventually wind up turning back around? Well, well are you talking once they get to the breeding territory? Oh, uh, yes, like if they get to like south of the Arctic Circle, somewhere up there, do they just you know make a U-turn and come on back or do they stay there? A lot of, I guess every species is a little different, but some species have what's called... I can't remember the term right now. If I think of it, I, um, oh, site fidelity. Okay. So basically where they were born is a general area in which they're likely to, to go back to. Got it. Uh, it's not always accurate. Some birds will, will go other areas um, if they can't find territory. Yet another human term, you can always go home. You can always go home. You can always yeah. go home. Yeah. Because um, home has that strange, it's, it's fascinating to hear you describe this. And I do say them tongue in cheek, but we are all creatures of this planet and we all I mean, at a genetic level, kind of behave the same. Yeah. Uh, they come to breed. They come to eat. We fill up for the winter time. Um, we often go back home because it's where our roots are. It's fascinating to hear across the species. We are very much alike. We are. Yeah. What are some of your favorite things about the biggest week in American birding here? Well, definitely, I'd say first and foremost is the people that come back. Um, I'm not where I am today without the people I know. Um, every year it's a great big family reunion in a way. I, I get to see the staff of BSBO basically every day. I don't see them that often throughout the year except for a couple events. And this is the big one. Uh, and then, like I said earlier, there's people that I know basically all throughout the world. Um, I know people in multiple states. It's great to see birders my age and younger uh, showing up too. Um, and then there's other people who guide internationally in South America Africa, Asia, all coming back here just for this 10-day event in Northwest Ohio. Is there um, is there a specific bird, species, color, something that you have never seen, you've heard of, but you haven't seen it with your own eyes, something that you're looking forward to when you go out to this every year? Yeah, there's, there's plenty. I, I'm at the point where I've seen most of them, but there's always that one bird that will show up out of nowhere and what they call it is chasing you can go chase a bird um historically i was never one to chase birds but at this point when when you've seen basically most of them you Mm kind of have to have to do that so um you are what are your responsibilities during this week biggest week so my big responsibilities are guiding okay Um, bsbo and their volunteers handle a lot and if i can help in some way shape or form outside of guiding uh, i will Um, but guiding is is the big one uh, last year, I, I did t- give a, a speech or, or a presentation. Uh, I won't be doing that this year, but I'll be guiding trips definitely on the weekends. And I'll be out there after work um, 
during the weekdays too. Where's the best place for people to start their biggest week journey? Best place to start? I, oh, yeah. I don't mean geographically. Like go to Black Swamp Conservancy, Facebook, social, whatever it might yeah. be. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I would definitely check out the website. Uh, it's Biggest Week in American Birding. Um, or you can go to the Black Swamp Bird Reservatory website and check out some information there. Um, there should be links with different hotspots you can visit. Um, there's what, what are some of those if people are going on their own? Sure. Uh, so out by the lake, which is kind of the epicenter, uh, we have the famous McGee Marsh Wildlife Area, and that's the that's the place with the famous boardwalk where the warblers will be eye level within four feet of you. Uh, there's Otto National Wildlife Refuge has a huge complex of diverse marshes and other woodlands. Um, Maumee Bay State Park, that is the headquarters for the festival. So that's at, at the uh, at the lodge is where the registration tables are. There's a bunch of vendors. Um, you can talk to some expert birders there if you have any questions. And then over here, I, I, I got to give a shout out to Metro Parks Toledo. They do a great job of conserving land that these birds will use um, during migration and breeding season. Will, and I think I asked you this last year, will I see any of these migrant birds in random metro parks around the area or are they just unappealing as like the lake is you will definitely see them anywhere you go uh what the lake offers is the lake offers a lot of the best views i would say just because how close they are to continuing over that water they're feeding Mm -hmm. but here in the greater toledo area um you can get just as good looks anyway, really. And the species composition isn't going to be different except for some birds that may prefer marshes. But when we're talking about songbirds like the warblers, vireos, tanagers, orioles, you're going to see all those here in any metro park you go to, basically. Can I feed them? Should I feed well, them? Well, most of these birds are insectivores. Okay. So they're, they're not going to respond to bird seed necessarily. There's a few. Um, some birds like Baltimore Orioles, you can attract them to your yard with orange slices. Okay. Um, there's other birds that are related to cardinals called grosbeaks, uh, rose-breasted grosbeak. There's also the indigo bunting. Uh, you can get them at your bird feeders with sunflower seed. Um, and there's there's a bunch more too. But if you want to attract warblers, the best thing to do is provide water. So if you have okay. a bird bath or a fountain, uh, these birds need those that that vital water source to keep going. Um, is there any bad with any of this? You had mentioned that those birds I described are, are, are invasive. Um, tell me about the, some of the, maybe the darker side of Biggest Week. And I only mean that, not that it's, it's negative to the environment, but uh, predators or birds eating other birds, whatever oh. it might be. Well, I, overall, when it comes to predation, if a bird eats another bird, that's just how it is, and that's how it's supposed to dog be. Dog eat dog world. Dog eat dog world. And I, I understand a lot of people are not a big fan. Uh, they're not big fans of, say, hawks at their bird feeders. They'll try to shoo them away. Um, but if you look at it in a bigger picture, um, your bird feeder feeds all birds and all wildlife. Right. And it's your, you basically bring that life cycle into your yard, which is a really cool thing to experience. You know, death isn't a cool thing to witness in mm. the wild, but it's the way it happens. The world goes. Yeah. So yeah, you know you're feeding you're feeding your cardinals and blue jays seeds, but you're also feeding your hawks birds, which I think that's a really cool thing. To Is see. there any of that like species contention um, amid all this? Because you only have so much food and resources for millions and millions of birds. Mm-hmm. Like right now, they're 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 focusing on themselves. They they um, some will fly in flocks, but 
Uh, they're going to the best food reserves uh, wherever they can find it. And you'll see a couple birds scrapping. I remember I, uh, I was at Swan Creek right down the road actually a couple years ago, and I saw a blue-winged warbler uh, fighting with a, a ruby-throated hummingbird, two birds you really wouldn't think to fight. Um, and I'm not sure what they were fighting over, but um, you'll see a little bit of that. But that's that's not that's not something that is, I'd say, really significant during migration. It is though during breeding season because that's it. when they're establishing territories. Yeah, that's when they're trying to find mates, build nests, and that's when it's that's like, when a different form of anxiety sets in. Like, like right now, they're trying to get there. Then they're trying to do everything they're supposed to do. When it's they get there. like you go downtown, you have dinner, you eat. And then you go out, and then then the mating season as well. There's an, there's attempts at it. That's why we sometimes sometimes have fights out on Erie Street. Yep. yep. Um. Where I know I didn't ask you this last year, so obviously you can see a, a a rainbow, a spectrum of beautiful birds here because of all of this. Is there a place in the world you would like to go that's on your bucket list because there's just so much beauty there, or it has so much appeal to you? You know, I think I'm. In a lot of ways, my my heart is stationed here in Toledo when it comes to that, just because I, I think it's it's you know it's where I started and it's it's what I want to continue doing. That being said, I am opening I am open to travel basically anywhere where there's different species. I'd love to go out west. I'd love to see Colorado, see the the mountain species. Any um, any species that you've read about, heard about, and you just want to go to their part of the world. <laughs> There's there's a lot. <laughs> I will Give me say. A couple. I, um, let's see. So Colorado, there's a lot of great western birds out there. There's birds like the lark bunting, which is a small little black sparrow with a white patch on its wing. Really cool, complex song too. Um, they also have mountain bluebirds out there, which is basically structurally the same as our eastern bluebirds over here, but it's this pure subtle sky blue overall. Really something cool. Um, American Southwest is really special too. They got a lot of uh, desert birds like cactus wrens. Uh, my favorite bird being the Northern Cardinal. Uh, it has a cousin down there um, in the same genus uh, named. It's it's a really weird Greek name actually. You wouldn't think it, but it's named Pyroluxia. That's okay. the name of the bird, and it's basically a cardinal. But in places where it should be red, it's gray. And in places where it should be black, it's red. So it's it's basic. It's almost like a reversed cardinal in a way, which mm-hmm. is really cool. Now, I'd love to see one. Um, the name is a little weird to me, though. I wish Say it, it again. Paraluxus? Paraluxia. Okay, Paraluxia. I wish it was called like Desert Cardinal or something <laughs> like that because it would make more sense. But yeah. um, Biggest Week in American Birding is coming up in May. Nate Kosicki, can people find you somehow if you'd like them to find you? I'll Yeah, I'll be at the Biggest Week this year. Um, I'll probably be wearing a hat because I wear hats everywhere I go. Anywhere um, online, any websites, anything like that? Uh, websites? Uh, or just shoot them to the Black Swamp Conservancy website. That's probably okay. the, the awesome. best spot. Um, but I'm, I'm on Facebook. so. Did we cover everything? We covered a lot. Awesome. So. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, again, I hope more people, if they can't at least maybe take an interest in the birds, know that this is a big deal for the area. And as you mentioned, uh, thousands of people, lots of money comes in, and that's good for the area. Yeah, it's it's like Christmas to a bird watch. It's the most wonderful time of the year, at least in about two months. Awesome. <laughs>